Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Ryan Horn. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening to you, sir. Hey, how's it going? I am excited to be on the show. Listen, it's great to have you on. It's, it's always great to have fellow podcasters and fellow entrepreneurs. So uh, yeah, to give our audience a bit of a background. So Ryan Horn went from broke and working 12-hour shifts at a metal factory while sleeping on his aunt's couch to becoming an award-winning entrepreneur, peak performance coach, in-demand speaker, and top-rated podcast host. His preparatory five-step five business breakthrough framework has helped thousands of men around the world transform their businesses and their lives. Ryan, as listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you for coming on today. And uh, I'm going to ask you an easy question to start off with. What does fire in the belly mean to Ryan? I had a feeling that was going to be a question that was asked. Um, Fire in the belly to me, I think is about, it's about purpose. And I think it's about being committed to something. When you feel like you have a purpose that you're running after and you're really committed to that, that's when I think that you have that fire in the belly, which is, you know, to me, the fire in the belly is like, you don't let obstacles stop you. You know, you're so focused on what it is that you want and you're going after it. And when you have that fire in the belly, you can just bust through those brick walls that inevitably are going to come up, especially if you're chasing after, you know, a big goal, you have a big vision for your life. So to me, that's what it is. On purpose for you, is that something you've had, you've always had? I mean, what's, what does that purpose mean for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think purpose is, it's a process. I don't think it's like, you know, you're just, you wake up one day and you're like, oh, this is my purpose. So one of my favorite quotes is that action brings clarity. And I have found that to be very true in my own life. I'm sure we'll dig into to more of my backstory here. But I mean, what I do today is, is not the first business that I started. It's not what I thought I would be doing a long time ago. So I think the more you take action, like I said, action brings clarity, uh, the more clarity you get. And so I've definitely found that to be true for me. So purpose for me was not something that I just woke up and I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I should be doing. It's an ongoing process. And I feel like I'm still uncovering it. And for the benefit of our listeners, I mean, behind Ram, we have won the Superman symbol, which is great. I love that. We've got a, what looks like an award. So a Kingdom Impact Award. Uh, you have to talk us through the rest of it. What else have we got here? This is like a Hall of Fame behind you. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I have, I'll, I'll grab this book here. Wow. Superman. Son. So I'll grab this book here. So this is a book. It's called Live Abundantly. Top Thought Leaders Share Their Secrets for Living an Extraordinary Life. So it's a book that I'm a co-author in. Uh, Nick Unsworth and uh, James Malinchek, two of my mentors, put this together. And it was a really fun project that I did. And um, it's been endorsed by Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, Joe Theismann, former NFL Super Bowl winning quarterback, John Asaroff, uh, among others. But yeah, that's the book. I, I love that. It just came out. And uh, so if you're interested in getting that, I'm sure at the end we'll share some links for that and stuff. And this is an award you were talking about here, uh, the Kingdom Impact Award. 
So that is also from uh, one of my mentors, Nick Unsworth. So it's from Life on Fire. It's the name of his business. And really, it, it, it's about celebrating. Uh, so more than just making money in your business. So this was for hitting a certain revenue goal in my business. But he calls it the Kingdom Impact Award because it gets you to focus on the impact versus just okay, I made this much money in my business. Now I made this much money in my business, right? Like, and that's nice, right? It's like, oh, my bank account's growing. That's good, right? Everybody wants that. But focusing on the impact, I think is is really important. And that's why I have it up. So I see it every day because why I'm doing what I'm doing is about more than the money, right? I mean, I need money to live, right? But it's about the impact and creating impact and uh, creating legacy for me. So that's a little bit more about the background. I love it. I love it. I mean, so, I mean, for you then, I mean, you know, I suppose the impact and what's, what's your values and purpose now? And, and I'm, we're going to get back to you, you know, your story, but you know, where are you today? And are you where you're supposed to be today? Yeah, I, I definitely believe I am where I'm supposed to be right now. Um, and like I said, it, it's been a process, right? And we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But um, I believe that I am definitely right exactly where I'm supposed to be right now and the values that you set today what what values do you sort of operate to or what do you sort of stand out for yourself yeah good question so for me i'm a christian so my my number one value is my faith right and to me number two is my family um and then some other things that are are top values for me are uh wisdom i always want to be seeking wisdom and wise counsel from people in every area of my life, whether that's my marriage, my business, my health, whatever, because I know that learning from other people is like the ultimate shortcut. Um, Another big one for me is generosity Um, and kind of ties back to my top value, which is my faith, right? So it's one of the ways that I live my faith out. But those are some of the big ones I would say for me. Well, that's, it's always good. I mean, it's amazing how many of those are service-based. So it's all about output rather than you know, and I suppose it actually links back to the award in many ways. It's not, it's not just about the money. It's like, yeah, the money's great and it, it enables things and does things and all the rest, but you can't do something with it. If you haven't got a purpose behind it, then what's the point, right? You know, you do get to that point and going, yeah, it's great. Um, you're, you're rich or you're wealthy or you're successful or whatever you achieve or whatever. Right. But if there's not a meaning behind it, then what is the point? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that Tony Robbins says, who's, he's been a big mentor in my life that I love. He has a quote that goes something along the lines of success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure, right? So who cares if you have a billion dollars, if you have an unfulfilling life, right? If you're divorced, your kids hate you and, and all that, then, I mean, you're going to have, even though you have a billion dollars, you're going to have a lot of pain in your life. Right. And uh, somebody that I was interviewing just a couple of weeks ago uh, said something that I thought was pretty profound as well. He talked about how uh, he left his career Uh, It was in television. It was he was working at ESPN and he moved to a a smaller company and he he took like a 40 percent pay cut and all these things. But it was more aligned with where he felt like he was supposed to be. And he talked about going from success to significance. Right. And that was his journey for him. And he realized because right away he he didn't really want to make the move, but he prayed about it and he felt like he was supposed to make the move. And it's been five years now and he's much happier and much more fulfilled. So yes, I think it's easy for us to get caught up in the the success. And we see, especially in social media, we see everybody with the cars and the big houses and the, all this. And 
nothing wrong with that, but it's easy to get caught up in thinking that, you know, once I hit this level of success in my business, once I make, once I make this much money or I buy this house or I move here, I go on vacation here, I get this car, whatever, then I'm going to be happy and I'm going to feel successful. I'm going to feel fulfilled. I'm going to feel significant, right? But that's really not the case. And if that's what you're thinking, then it's kind of like a moving target and you're never going to be happy. <laughs> so I, what I choose to do is wherever you're at right now, and I would invite your listeners to do the same is be happy wherever you're at right now. Because uh, somebody I interviewed also a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago, was a guy who's done over $100 million in his business. And uh, he talked about how his father-in-law told him one time that you're never going to be happier than you are right now. And the time he told him that was a time after he'd been really successful and uh, 2008, 2009, it was something in, in the finance industry and his business totally collapsed. He had four homes at the time. All four of them were for, foreclosed on. He had a bunch of cars. They were all repossessed one at a time. And uh, him and his wife had to move back in with his father-in-law and talk about a humbling experience, right? But his father-in-law at that time told him that and he's never forgot it. And he's extremely successful again. Now he has a business with over hundred million dollars a year, but he talked about that because you're never going to be happier than you are right now. Cause you can choose to be happy no matter where you're at right now in life, whether you're really successful, you're crushing it, or you feel like you're at rock bottom. That's, that's a really, I mean, it's such a powerful point. And I, and I suspect not everyone's going to get that. Right. Cause you say, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm rock bottom. I'm broke. I'm this. And you know, the wife hates me and the dogs left and all this crazy stuff, right? That's gone in our lives. And people say, be happy. And you're like, what? How, how could I possibly be happy? What do you say to people like that? Yeah. So I, I think it's not easy, right? And, and one of the reasons it's not easy is because human nature is to look at the negative side of things. Like we're always looking at the things that we didn't do. We're looking at the things that are missing, the things that are wrong, right? So to me, one of the things that when I'm coaching somebody, especially for the first time, I really try to help them transform their mindset. It's one of the transformations that I went through to go from struggling, like you said in my bio, to successful as an entrepreneur. So one of the things um, to me is cultivating an attitude of gratitude. And there's multiple different things. But when you cultivate an attitude of gratitude, so one of the things that I do, I have uh, these six questions I ask myself every single day. I call them my power questions. And the first question is, what am I grateful for? And I will list out at least three things every single day. And I'll try to be as specific as possible. And then I will actually sit and visualize for at least a few seconds. And it's really, really powerful. And maybe not the first time you do it or the first couple of times, but it's kind of like a compounding effect where the more you do it, the more it benefits you. Because you literally start to rewire your brain to where you're thinking about, your default is thinking about what you're grateful for versus thinking about, you know, what I said before, what's wrong, what's missing, et cetera. Right. Like, because you, there is always something you can be grateful for. Like if you're breathing, then you can be grateful for something. Right. So if you're hearing my voice right now, you can be grateful for something. And I know it's difficult, especially in the beginning, because you're fighting that uphill battle and you want to be like, ah, I don't have anything to be grateful for. My life is terrible. I'm broke and this and that, and so on and so forth. But when you think that way, it's just like digging yourself a deeper hole. So I would encourage you to, um, man, start cultivating that attitude of gratitude, because I think it's so important. And you mentioned a key thing there is visualization. I mean, you know, that and even mixing that in with your gratitude, 
you know, and those sort of six powerful questions you're talking about. So, I mean, is visualization part of all of those questions for you or is, where does visualization come in? Good question. So visualization is, is something I think that is massively underutilized for people. It's really, really powerful. And I learned about it because I played sports growing up. So when I was in middle school and high school, I played basketball and football. And I would imagine the night before a game, I would imagine me dominating. It was football, me scoring a bunch of touchdowns. I played running back or playing basketball. It was me. Like I would sometimes visualize the entire game. Like this is what I want to happen and how I want it to happen. And, you know, these are the shots I'm going to take and make, et cetera. So it comes from my sports background. That's, that's why I do it, but it's incredibly powerful. You will hear a lot of people in business talk about it as well. And uh, so for me, um, I guess this is maybe a good time to jump into my five-step uh, business breakthrough framework. So this is a framework that I created after uh, being an entrepreneur for the past 10 years, lots of ups and downs. You mentioned it in the bio, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll jump into my backstory here in a little bit. But I've invested a lot of time and a, a lot of money into my own personal growth and into my own business over those last 10 years. And through that, I put together this framework. And so this to me is kind of the best of everything that I have learned. And I can look at this framework and say, you know what, this is what I use to go from broke and sleeping on my aunt's couch to becoming a successful entrepreneur. You know, anything big that I've achieved in my life, and I could probably pick the steps out in anybody's life. They tell me something big they've achieved, and they maybe didn't know that they were doing these, but on some level, they were probably doing some form of this. Right. So I'll just run through the five steps quick and then I'll go into each of them in a little bit more detail and feel free to, to jump in if you have questions along the way. So step number one is clarity. Step number two is commitment. Step number three is coaching. Step number four is courageous action. And step number five is course correction. So clarity is number one because look, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. Right. And it, this is, it sounds really simple. And a lot of you listening to this right now are probably like, well, yeah, duh, Ryan, of course. Right. But what I've found is that a lot of times we say, oh, I already know that. But instead we should be saying, am I actually doing that? Because I find myself doing that all the time too. I'm like, oh, I've already heard that. And then you just kind of tune out or you like, don't even listen to it anymore. But if you ask yourself, am I actually applying this to my life? Am I actually doing this? The answer for most people, are you crystal clear on exactly what it is that you want, why you want it? The answer would be no for probably 99.99 plus percent of people. And I see this over and over again when somebody comes to me for the first time and we go through an initial coaching call because that's one of the outcomes with the coaching call is for me to help them get really, really clear on exactly what it is they want and why they want it. Because if you don't have that, when the inevitable challenges come up, and the bigger your goal, the more challenges that are going to come up. That's why people end up quitting. A lot of times they don't follow through because this challenge comes up and they weren't even really 100% clear on what they wanted or why they wanted it. If you have strong enough reasons why, you will figure out a way to make it happen. I can promise you. So clarity for me, there's kind of a couple different steps that I take people through. So number one is when you're setting goals, I like to use the acronym SMART, which stands for Specific, Measurable, aligned with your values, realistic and time-based, right? So if you literally just took your goals right now, which most people don't even have their goals written down, they just have them up in their head. 
So that would be number one. I would say get them from your head onto paper or on a computer somewhere, right? Because when it's in your head, it's just a moving target, right? Depending on how you're feeling, your goal might be different. It might be higher or lower. So that'd be step number one. But then step number two is run your goals through this filter of SMART. If you actually do that, you would already be ahead of probably 99% of people because like I said, they don't even write their goals down, much less take the time to make them specific, specific, measurable, uh, aligned with their values, realistic and time-based. That's number one. Number two, I would say is uh, realizing there's a difference between goals and vision, and they're both important. So I didn't really understand what the, the difference was for quite a while either. So the way I define them to me, goals is something that's 12 months or less, and it's much more strategic. Um, and vision to me is kind of the opposite. So I look at vision as three years or more out into the future. It should be something big that gets you really excited because when you have a big vision, it's going to pull you forward instead of you constantly feeling like you have to push yourself to get up in the morning or to do this or to do that. So having a really big vision is really, really important, but you may not know exactly how you're going to figure that vision out, how you're going to make it happen, right? And if you do know exactly how you're going to make that vision happen, then I would say your vision is probably too small. Um, so that's kind of the difference between vision and goals. They're both important because uh, vision is going to pull you forward, but then the goals takes the vision and gives you some practical steps of what can you actually do. And when you have 12 month goals, then it's really easy to break things down into monthly and into weekly and even daily action steps, which is really what I help people do. Um, and step number two, commitment. So also really, really important. It's good to be clear on where you want to go and where you're at right now. But if you're not committed, those challenges come up and then that's where people end up quitting. So I look at commitment as three different parts. Number one is leverage. So you get enough leverage on yourself, you can get yourself to do pretty much anything. So if you boil it down to its most basic uh, sense, really, there's only two reasons anybody does anything. It's either to avoid pain or it's to gain pleasure. And so once you realize that, you can actually use that to your advantage. So I take people through a process, again, when they're on an initial coaching call with me, where I ask them a series of questions on both sides of that, the pain side and the pleasure side. And I really get them to visualize and to see and to feel okay, what would it be like a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, you know, if you literally make no progress on your goals, right? Well, there is no neutral. So you're actually going to be going backwards. And it's painful for people to look at that and say, oh my gosh, well, five years from now, you know, I'm going to be 400 pounds and have a heart attack. I might be dead, right? Or I might be divorced or my business will be bankrupt. It's not fun to do that. It's painful, but that gets people to kind of wake up because a lot of times people don't, I get leverage on themselves until they've hit rock bottom. That's why you hear so many stories of people that hit rock bottom and then they became really successful. So this is a way of doing that, hopefully without you having to actually experience those things. Um, and then on the other side of it, which is much more fun, it's the, the pleasure side. You know, a year from now, if you crush all these goals that we just laid out, what would your life look like? well, you know, I'd be making this much money and, you know, we'd go on vacation here and we'd give more money to this and that. And it's fun for them. They get to dream. They get to basically create the vision that they want. And then you expand that out three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what would be possible? And suddenly people, their mind is starting to expand because as adults, uh, we tend to put ourselves in a box. 
little kids, they don't usually do this. You ask little kids what's possible or what they want. I mean, what are they going to say? They're going to say all kinds of things that adults would say, oh, that's ridiculous. That'll never happen. That's impossible, right? So this is a way as an adult for you to kind of take that lid off. Uh, and it's really fun for people. It's fun for me to do as well. Uh, number two part of commitment is accountability. To me, accountability is the, the missing bridge between information and application. Because how many times do we hear information that we're like, oh, that was great information. We don't actually do anything with it. So it doesn't really do anything to change our life, right? And so accountability is really, really important. So either having a coach or some type of mentor in your life or being part of some type of group coaching program or just having an accountability partner. Uh, but one thing I would say is that sometimes people try to get their best friend or their, their wife or something to be their accountability partner. And that's not ideal. Let's say it's better than nothing, but uh, they're not going to want to call you out on certain things because they love you. They're your friend or you know, you're married to them. So uh, professional accountability is always the best kind of accountability. And then the third part of commitment is focus. So what do you focus on on a daily basis? Because what you focus on on a daily basis, either going to make you more committed to your goals or less committed to your goals, plain and simple. So for me, a couple of the things that I focus on, we talked about one of them already, the power questions, uh, but there's really three main things uh, that I teach my coaching clients to focus on and that I focus on on a daily basis. And there's obviously a lot of things that you could do that would make you more committed. Number one is vision board. So once you've created your vision, then it's nice to get something on, uh, to get some images on a board. And it doesn't have to be complicated. My vision board is, is very simple. It's literally right behind my computer right now. It's just nine images. And there's either one word or one short phrase underneath each of them, but it does something to me. And so the image I put is gonna be different than the image you put, than the image anybody else is gonna put, and the words as well. So it's important to find images and words that do something to you, that move you emotionally. Right? We could have the same goal, but we're going to word it differently and we're going to have different images and that's okay. Uh, but I would say, don't make it complicated, just get something done and you, know, you can always change it later. But a lot of times perfectionism uh, holds people back and they don't ever actually get a vision board up. They say, hey, that's a great idea, but they don't do it. So uh, number two is an ultimate vision letter. So once you've kind of gone through the process of looking at what's possible and what you want, actually writing it down on paper in detail is another big key. And so I like to break it down into different categories. I think in my ultimate vision, I have like eight or nine different categories, but you want to keep it simple. Just go with three or four. And I would say go health, wealth, relationships, and faith. Um, and just write a little bit about each one of those specifically. That'll make it a little bit smaller uh, and more manageable to do. And the other thing I would say is people get really intimidated. They're like, you know, just having a blank sheet of paper and saying, okay, write your vision. It's hard, right? You may set a timer for an hour and end up with nothing written down because you're trying to figure it all out in your head. So I would say just start a timer for like five minutes or less and force yourself to write the entire time and worry about editing later. Cause it's just all about getting it out of your head and onto paper, especially initially. Um, and then the number three thing is the power questions I already mentioned. So question number one is the gratitude. And there's other questions, which if you want, we can kind of go into those as well. But that's focus to me. And those are the three parts of, of commitment. So it's leverage, accountability, and focus. And I know that was, that was a mouthful there. <laughs> um, 
And so the third step in the five-step business breakthrough uh, framework, which by the way, you can use this to break through in any area of your life, not just business. So you want to break through in your marriage and your health, whatever, it's the same steps. Uh, so step number three is coaching. And to me, I look at coaching as two different parts, active and passive. So passive coaching to me is like you read a book, technically you're kind of getting coaching, right? But it's passive. You can't ask the book a question. It's not going to give you an answer back, right? You can listen to a podcast like this, but it's passive. You're just listening to it, right? And then there's active, which is obviously what a lot of people think of in terms of coaching would be like one-on-one coaching or maybe some type of group coaching program or a mastermind program uh, where there's actual interaction. And one thing that I've found is that the bigger your goals, the bigger your vision in life, the higher level of coaching you need. So if you were to say to me, okay, I want to make a million dollars in my business this year, Ryan. And I said, okay, well, what's, what's your plan for coaching? You know, and you're like, well, you know, I'm going to read this book and uh, I think that'll get me there. Uh, I'd say that's a great start, but it's not going to happen, right? You're going to need, that's a big goal. And I guarantee there's going to be a lot of obstacles and you're going to need more than just a book uh, if you want to get there. And there's an amazing quote that I love on coaching from Tom Landry, who's a legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys for something like 30 years. And I have it pulled up here, so I'm going to read it. It says, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see, so you can be who you've always known you could be. And to me, that's coaching in a nutshell. Like you want to maximize your potential. It's not going to happen on your own. You need a coach. So, um, and another analogy that I love that I heard a couple of years ago about coaching, and I don't remember exactly who said this, but they said, imagine your goals are like going on a trip from Los Angeles to New York City, right? It's thousands of miles. It's a long trip. There's lots of different ways you could get there, right? You could walk there, and if you walked 12-hour days, it would take you something like 78 days, I think, to get there. That's assuming you took the fastest route the entire time, right? And you're walking 12 hours a day. But you could also jump on a, a private plane and get there in four hours, right? And so the comparison is trying to do things on your own is like trying to walk there versus getting a coach is like taking a shortcut. And so I would, I would much rather get there quicker, easier, and safer, Right. So that's why one of the reasons why I love coaching so much. Uh, step number four is courageous action. So it's great to be, you know, clear and, and committed and to have coaching, but ultimately your coach can't take action for you. Right. So this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road, where you you have to actually be the one to take action. And the reason I said courageous action is because again, when you have big goals, you have a big vision, and you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't, right? So I already know if you're listening to this, you have those things. It's going to require you to use courage at some point and most likely at a lot of points and repeatedly over and over and over again, right? But courage doesn't mean that you're not scared. It means that you're scared, but you do it anyway. And so what I've found is if you feel like you're stuck and you can't get yourself to, to consistently take the courageous action that 99 times out of 100, at least in my experience, it's because something is missing from steps one through three. So either you're not clear enough on what it is that you want or why you want it, you're not committed enough to it, or you don't have a high enough level of coaching. When you have those three things in place, it becomes a whole lot easier to take that courageous action. And the other thing with courageous action is it's kind of like a muscle, right? Like the first time you go to a gym and you try to lift up a weight, it's going to be really heavy. You've been doing it for a year. It's going to be 
pretty easy, probably, right? You could do a lot more weight. Same thing with taking courageous action. So it's tough in the beginning. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And then step number five is course correction. So this step can actually be the hardest for people. And the reason why is because of expectations, because they feel like, oh man, I did all four steps correctly. The first four steps, right? I was clear. I was committed. I had the coaching. I'm taking the courageous action, but I'm still not getting the result that I want. So what's going on? You know, this worked for Ryan. This worked for this person. This worked for that person. Not working for me. So must be something wrong with me, right? Start asking themselves really bad questions. Ask a bad question. You're going to get a bad answer. And so I see a lot of people that end up quitting because of that. Because they feel like, oh man, it's just something wrong with me, right? You know, Ryan had something special or this person had something special. But you just have to remember that the first time you try anything, it's not going to work out the way you want, right? And I love using the analogy of a baby learning to walk because a baby doesn't just stand up on the first try and start walking around, right? No, what happens? They stand up, they fall down. They stand up and they fall down and over and over and over again, right? But eventually, they stand up and then they take a step and they take two steps and then they're walking, right? But why does virtually everybody on earth learn how to walk? It's because their parents didn't say, oh my gosh, he tried 10 times to walk. He fell down every single time. This is embarrassing. You know what? My kid is just not going to be a walker. They're just not cut out for it, right? No, of course not. They said they're going to keep trying until they learn how to walk. So that's a great formula for you in your life. Like literally, if you just commit to not giving up and realizing that it's going to be a process that you're going to have to course correct, that the first time you try something, it's not going to work out the way you want, uh, then you can manage those expectations and you're going to be successful. It's going to be not a matter of, am I going to be successful? It's just going to be a matter of when. So that is my five-step business breakthrough framework. Wow. I love it. I mean, there's a lot of that that's a beautiful framework and it's i think it's so much time and effort and commitment's gone into that i mean it makes a lot of sense and i'm curious how how do you how do you check the ego in all these things because it's all well and good having a goal but i mean there's many people will have a goal that looks really good to the next door neighbor or looks good for the partner or whatever right so i mean how do you make sure that your goal is genuine and it's not something you've inherited from somewhere else or it has an ulterior motive that's a really good question because you're 100% right. It's really easy to get caught up in, especially with entrepreneurs. For some reason, they love just setting seven figures. You know, I want to make a million dollars in my business. And if you ask a lot of them, they don't have a good answer. They're like, well, I, I don't know, because it sounds cool, right? But so I encourage people, especially when they're setting uh, goals in their business and around revenue and how much money they want to make. If you don't have a good plan for what you're actually going to do with the money, then you're not going to be motivated by that anyway. Because if you just say, oh, my, my goal is to make a million dollars in my business, but you really have no idea what you would do with the money anyway. And when the tough times come, you're not going to be committed to it. You're going to give up. These are the people that get really, really excited. And you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording about how I don't know what the stats are, but 80, 90% of people that start podcasts end up quitting really quickly. I think the average podcast ends up producing seven episodes. I heard that a couple of months ago. And it's crazy to think that, but I, this is the reason why people get excited and they see, oh my gosh, this guy you know, made a ton of money with this podcast, or he interviewed this really famous person or whatever. 
they get excited for a minute, they start it, and then they realize that, oh my gosh, this is hard work and it, this seems like a million miles away, right? So that's where you need to make things realistic. It's okay to have a vision of, you know, my vision is to make seven figures in my business or whatever, but if you've never had a business before, or if your business is doing like 50 grand a year, then, I mean, it's definitely possible, but if you set going from $50,000 a year or from zero to a million in a year or less as your goal, you're probably going to be really frustrated because you're going to be a couple months in, it's going to seem harder than you thought. And then you're going to be like, this is impossible. I'm giving up. So that's where I think really breaking it down also is helpful to, you have the bit, the vision that's big, that's exciting, but then you break it down into the goals of 12 months and monthly and weekly and what's possible there and what's realistic to you, which again, goes back to the, the smart goals, you know, R is for realistic. So <clears throat> I always ask people, like, do you actually think that's realistic for you right now based on where you're at? And so that question helps a lot. Um, but then again, I would say if it's a financial related goal, I will literally ask them, okay, now you're making, let's say they're making $100,000 a year right now and their goal is a million. I will say, okay, well, what are you going to do with the extra $900,000? And if you don't have a good answer, you need to come up with one. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because things are going to get hard. And when they get hard, especially if you're also, if you're comfortable, if things are okay, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. In my opinion, if you're in a place where things are okay, that means they're not painful enough for you to actually want to change and really take action and do something. But it's also way below where, you know, uh, your potential is right. You're not maximizing your potential. And I see that for a lot of people. So figure out and come up with some really good reasons why you want to make whatever amount of money it is that you want to make and what you're actually going to do with it. Um, and it's honestly, it's not hard. I don't know. Maybe you're going to give $500,000 of it to your favorite charity or to your church or to whatever. But if you come up with some compelling reasons why, then when the tough times inevitably come, that will help you to push through. And that can actually be the fuel that, that moves you forward. It is. It's so important, actually, as you say, to, to be actually understand what it's going to mean. As opposed to, especially money seems to be the one ultimately. Yeah, I want this much. It's like, what? Exactly. It's like, what, to roll around in it? To, you know, generally, certainly cash is smelly, it's dirty, it's God knows covered in what, and, you know, and all the rest. And so it's just like, so you want to, you know, you want to roll around in this smelly, dirty stuff? It's like, have you thought about this? You know, what's it all about, right? You know, and because it was a great expression that came up and, and they talked about, you know, you so many people, their voids are their values. And it really sort of gets me. And it's like, why is that? You know, it's like, because we're like, I want to be rich because we were poor as kids. Like, okay, so you get to be rich and then what? And then I, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Too busy. Just, I was too busy trying to fill that void. Right. We've got there. Yay. You know, it's like, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. It's the success without fulfillment. Like even if you do get the million dollars or whatever the, the target for money is like, okay, you're going to be like, okay, I have a million dollars now. Now what? Right. You have to find things that fulfill you and you have to find things beyond money that uh, make you feel significant. And so for me and, and really for everybody out there, uh, we will do far more for other people than we will do for ourselves. So when you can tie your vision, when you can tie your goals to other people and the impact that has on them, whether that's your family, maybe your wife and kids or the whole world, right? Or some portion of that, I think that's really important. So true. 
talk to us. I mean, you you went from, as I said at the start, you went from broken working 12-hour night shifts at a metal factory. What were you doing in the metal factory out of it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start a little bit before that. Okay. So, yeah. so I grew up in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, a small little town, and nobody I knew really was a business owner, was an entrepreneur, but I always kind of just thought that way. And so a story I love to tell was I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And my mom kept getting these fundraising magazines because she was in charge of our Sunday school. And the, the previous year we went and sold these calendars as a fundraiser for our Sunday school. And so I'm sitting there in the summer, 10, 11 years old, however old I was, I'm looking at this magazine and I see the exact calendars that we sold the previous year. And it was something like you sell like 30 calendars, you make like $200 in profit. And I was like, what are you kidding me? Like $200 to me seemed like a million dollars at the time. And I was like, I could do that. Like, so I literally convinced my mom to order these calendars for me. And I went around to, um, like I said, I grew up in a small town. I went to all of my neighbors, which I knew, um, and who we had sold calendars to the previous year. And uh, I went to the bank and to the grocery store and all these places. And it was really funny because everybody thought I was doing it for my Sunday school again. And so they all asked, are you doing this for your Sunday school again? And I was like, nope, I'm doing this for me. And it was so funny to see the look on their faces because they're like, oh, surprised. Um, So that was kind of my first venture into entrepreneurial, uh, anything entrepreneurial. And I also had a lawn mowing business growing up and being in Minnesota, uh, shoveling snow in the winter. (laughs) And uh, so I always kind of was thinking in terms of that. But when I got to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was undecided my first year and I loved sports growing up loved working out. So I was, and I loved helping people. So I was like, how could I somehow do something with all of these? So I, I decided to major in exercise science. And originally I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach out of college. So training athletes, that was kind of like my dream job. And so I was on that path. I did an internship at my college and, uh, I loved it. But as I kind of got further along, I think towards the end of my junior year, maybe even started my senior year, uh, a couple of things led me to go in a different direction. So number one, I read an amazing book called The Education of Millionaires, which is still one of my favorite books. So this guy went and interviewed dozens of millionaires and billionaires that didn't graduate college. And it's talking more about self-education. And also, I realized that I kind of needed a master's degree if I wanted a job. I didn't really want to go to more school. Also, I was going to have to move wherever I could find a job. The hours were not going to be what I wanted. The pay was not going to be what I wanted. So I was like, why don't I just start my own business training people? Like, you know, I've been entrepreneurial growing up and I can set my own schedule. You know, I can make unlimited money can live wherever I want to live. And so that was the thought. So I graduated college and I moved down to the Twin Cities here, which is Minneapolis and St. Paul here in Minnesota. It's about a three, four million person metro area, uh, which was a bit of a, a culture shock for me. I grew up in a small town, went to college in a town of maybe like 100,000 people. Um, so that was a culture shock. And so I'm, I'm living with my aunt at the time because I had an aunt that lived in the area. And I started this business and I realized really quickly that I didn't know how to market and I didn't know how to sell. And if you don't know how to market and you don't know how to sell in a business, you're not going to make any money. So I'm three months in and I've made a total of about $200, I think. And I was like, man, this is not paying the bills, right? And I had student loans that were about to, to come due. And so I had kind of a, a reality check there. 
And it was really frustrating because I knew that I was really good at what I was doing. I knew I could help people get results. I mean, I had a four-year degree and I had all these certifications and stuff, but I was like, I thought the people would just come to me. So I learned that the hard way that that's not how it works. And uh, so I, I needed to make some money. So I ended up going to this employment agency and they placed me at this metal factory working 12 hour night shifts from 9 PM to 9 AM for $9 an hour. And so that's what I was doing for a while. And I, I was still living with my aunt. I was actually sleeping on her couch. Um, and the funny thing is she lived in a 60 plus condo community. And so technically nobody under 60 is allowed to live there. So I was actually not supposed to be living there. So I'm literally like sneaking in and out in the, in the mornings and the evenings and trying not to get caught. Cause obviously I didn't blend in with 60 year old people. I was 22 years old at the time. And uh, so that was my life and it was very humbling. And I remember I was sitting in the, the break room at the, the metal factory one night and it was like two o'clock in the morning, something like that. And I, I looked up at the clock and as I looked up at the clock, I just had this epiphany. It just hit me. And the reason I had this epiphany was because I realized it was my 23rd birthday and I'm sitting here in this metal factory on a 12 hour night shift for $9 an hour. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, what am I doing with my life? Right? Like, how did this happen? I thought I did everything right. You know, I got good grades and this and that. And somehow I'm here in this position. Right. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this before, but I just felt like a, a total failure. I felt like I was letting everybody around me down felt like I was living so far below my potential and it didn't feel very good. Right. So I just kind of sat there and felt sorry for myself for probably 10, 15 minutes. But then I made one of the most powerful decisions of my life. And the decision that I made was that I was going to go restart my business because I didn't want to be sitting in the metal factory, looking up at the clock again next year on my 24th birthday or 10 years from now on my, you know, my 33rd birthday. And so that gave me the leverage, like I talked about earlier, to actually do something. And so I made the decision, you know what, I'm going to go restart my business. I'm going to finish this shift. I'm going to go restart my business. And I'm going to going to go learn all the skills that I know are missing that I need to learn and become the person I need to become in order to make this business successful. And so that's what I did. And what I've learned since then is that, you know, when you have pain like that, you should actually get excited because you can use that to guide and direct yourself. And you can use it to as basically the fuel that's going to push you forward into the next level of your life. And that's exactly what I did. So I finished my shift, I quit the metal factory, and I went and restarted my business. And I dove headfirst into personal development. One of the first things I did was I got this 30 hour Tony Robbins audio program it's called Ultimate Edge. And I just started listening to that thing on repeat. And it started to change my mindset and what I believed was possible. And um, one of the things that he talked about on there was, was gratitude, which I mentioned earlier as well. So I started literally rewiring my brain to think differently instead of seeing all the negative stuff, which is naturally what we do, right? If you have a garden and you don't plant anything, weeds are going to grow automatically, right? But if you want something good to grow, you, you want fruit, you want vegetables to grow, you got to plant it and then you got to cultivate it and you got to put some time and effort into it. It's the same with your mindset. So that was a big thing for me. And then I found a mentor specifically in the fitness industry that I learned directly from on how to market and how to sell. So slowly I started getting a little bit of traction with my business and I made a lot more than $200 in the next three months and uh, was able to move out of my aunt's place and 
things were not perfect, by the way. I'm not trying to paint the picture of like how I, I just crushed it after that. Like it was still a big time struggle, but I was able to move out of my aunt's place. And about a year later, things are kind of okay. It's kind of in that place I talked about earlier where, you know, things are not terrible. I'm not living with my aunt anymore. I'm able to pay my bills barely, but I'm paying them. And <clears throat> I know I'm living way below my potential. And so I made two more really powerful decisions. So this was, yeah, probably a year, year and a half later after I quit the metal factory and the business was doing okay. So the two decisions that I made were number one, I hired a coach. And number two, I signed up for this one day mastermind in Miami, Florida uh, with two of my mentors. And they were both making 10 plus million dollars a year. And for me, I'd never actually been around somebody really successful. Like I was trying to do everything on my own. I, I had these mentors that I was learning from reading books and courses and stuff, but I didn't actually physically know anybody. So that really shifted things for me when I flew out to Miami um, and met these guys in person and got to learn from them for an entire day. I think it was me and nine other people in a room with them for like eight hours. So that was amazing to me. And I saw, oh my gosh, well, I mean, they have stories similar to me. They didn't start out and just crush it right away, but they didn't give up, right? And they kept investing in themselves. So that was huge. And then, like I said, hiring the coach was also huge. I mean, I hired the coach to help grow my business, but he really flipped my whole life upside down in a great way. And so I grew in, in every area of my life. My business doubled the next year. Um, and I've been a huge believer in coaching ever since. And, and that's really what led me into getting into coaching. And by the way, one thing that I'll mention as well is I didn't have the money, quote unquote, to invest in myself at the time, but I knew that I needed to do something. I, I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. It's like, I'd, I don't technically have the money to invest in this, but I know if I don't do something like invest in these things, then I'm just going to stay stuck here for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm not willing to do that. So I put it on credit cards and uh, took the jump, which at some point, if you want to go to the next level in your life, you're going to have to jump. And for some of you, it may be doing what I did, investing in a coach or something like that. For others, it might be something else, but you're not going to go, going to, go to the next level without having to uh, jump at some point. And so for me, the fitness business, obviously, like I said, it doubled the next year. It became pretty successful and it was doing really well. But suddenly I opened up this whole new world of um, going to in-person events and coaching and all this. So I got really interested in coaching and I got really, really into personal development. So I ended up going to, um, over the next four or five years, I think I went to like 25 or 30 different events, live events in person all around the country. Uh, so Tony Robbins, Brennan Bouchard, and I mean, everybody in between basically. Um, and I've had many coaches since then and been a part of, of a bunch of high level masterminds and, that kind of leads back into what I talked about earlier. Basically, all of those experiences led to me starting my own business, which is called Extraordinary Man. So what I do now is I coach men. I help them grow their business and become the man they were created to be. I have the podcast, which we talked about earlier, the Extraordinary Man podcast. Um, and, and it's really, really fun. So that is a little bit more about my backstory and the metal factory and how I got to where I am today. Tell me, it was was entrepreneurship in the family. I mean, what what sort of triggered that, you know, that young fella to to go out and do calendars and all? Because I mean, that's 
it's not that common, I don't think. You know, whilst people might do it, I mean, the action takers are certainly less common than the people that even think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, no, entrepreneurship is not in my family. Either my parents are business owners, entrepreneurs, none of my brothers, really, none of my relatives, none of my close relatives, really, that I can think of, and really, nobody around me growing up was either. So, uh, it wasn't because of that. Uh, I mean, honestly, I I can't tell you exactly why, other than the fact that I think God just put it in me. That's really interesting. The fact that you know that. We almost defer to a, a higher power, let's call it, you know. So it's that that thing of going, I don't know why, and then maybe it's not my it's not my place to question why. It's my my place just to serve and to be present, right? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I recognize it, and I, I you know, I salute you for you know, the the uh, the antics that you know the young fellows who have you know, passions and dreams, what you know, what they actually get up to, right? Because and that, that it takes a supporting family to also to put up with that, right? Because you know your mother, you know your mother going out and kind of fronting up the the initial, you know, for the for the calendars and all that. It's, it's amazing, and then to see that and to inspire, you know, inspired by you and vice versa, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. If you want to get into business or you want to be an entrepreneur you need some type of support system. And I definitely had that from my family growing up and my wife, Brittany. Now I definitely have that also. And it, it helps because she's also an entrepreneur. So we, we have similar stories and so it's fun. We get to work together. We have businesses that are similar, but I serve men and she serves women, but definitely it, it is very important to have a support system. I mean, back in the day, what, what was Ryan's initial intention? What was he going to be when he grew up? That's a good question. So the, the first thing that I, I thought of when you asked that question was uh, we did some type of project in kindergarten that was like, what do you want to do when you grow up or something? And you like drew a picture and, and wrote about it. And so I wanted to do what my dad did, which he was a foreman for a, um, a pipeline company and, and ran a crew of people. So when I was, that was my first memory of what I wanted to do was just be like my dad. Always amazing, isn't it? How we're inspired. I mean, who, you know, who do you take after in your family, your mother, your father, or someone else? It's <laughs> a good question. I think, I think a little bit of combination, a little bit of all. I love it there. You know, it's because we all, we, you know, we don't realize the, the inspiration and the people around us who inspire us, or even if they don't inspire us, they certainly support us. Right. So they're there for us to, you know, in, in one shape, shape or form. So but really interesting that and that personal you know the personal training i suppose that aspect in the fitness side is always something b i mean did you always link in terms of you know being physically fit and mentally fit i mean did, did the mental side come into it or you know was it always being quite to- closely tied for you yeah so for me growing up it was it was all about sports i loved sports i have four brothers so i played a lot of sports growing up um all the time we we're outside all the time playing sports and um, organized sports, basketball and football are what I played in high school. But so for me, sports was always the driving factor behind me getting fit, me getting in shape, me lifting weights. Like I wanted to get stronger so I could get faster, so I could jump higher, so I could perform better. So that was always the driving force behind uh, the working out. And then in high school, I would say uh, the mindset stuff, like I knew about some but again, it, w- it was all about sports for me. It was like, like I talked about earlier, the visual visualization 
was all about so I could perform better in sports and like, how can you get the mental edge and the mindset? And my high school basketball coach actually did something that at the time didn't seem like that big of a deal, but looking back on it now, uh, as a 32 year old, I'm like, this was actually really cool that we did this. So part of playing basketball was we had this thing that he called, uh, character class. So we would literally, we'd have practice. We'd go to the gym and, and do our practice and all that. But then we would meet in his classroom. He was a math teacher also. And for like 15 minutes, it was short. And we had this book and we would go through a, a lesson every day. There was like a paragraph. It was usually a story or some type of analogy or, or parable or something like that. And then we would ask questions. And so it was all about character building and mindset. And so at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I was like, you know, why are we here doing this? Why aren't we in the gym? But looking back on it now, I'm like, man, that was amazing because we were training our mindset and, and building character skills. So yeah, the, the fitness and the mindset, I think was always part of, of growing up, but it just evolved as I got into business and became an entrepreneur. I mean, for you now, what, what is the ratio in terms of, you know, skill set, action taking, et cetera, versus mindset? I mean, which, you know, I know it's a totally unstatistical thing, but I mean, which, which is more important or, or where does it lie and what ratio should you use it? Good question. So <clears throat> I'm going to default to one of my mentors, Tony Robbins, because what he says is basically it's 80, 20, it's 80% your mindset and it's 20% the mechanics, which most people think it's the opposite of that. They're always looking for the next strategy. And so a lot of guys that I coach, they come in and they want the next strategy, the new strategy, the thing to do, but really it's, you got to get back to the fundamentals and the habits, because when you crush those, it's like the five steps that I laid out right? I mean, those are universal principles that you can use. You want to break through in any area of your life and anybody can use them, right? Versus the new strategy. And you see this in the fitness industry all the time. There's new diets coming out. There's new supplements constantly coming out, new workouts constantly coming out. But really, I mean, you could ask anybody, you could ask a little kid, like, what does it take to lose weight? They're going to tell you, okay, well, you need to eat less and you need to exercise more. It's really simple, but why why are so many people overweight? Because they can't get themselves to do it. And why can they not get themselves to do it? It's the mindset. They're not clear. They're not committed. They don't have the coaching. And because of that, they don't take the courageous action. Or if they do, uh, they mess up, especially, you know, you go in a gym setting, like somebody who's maybe overweight, they go to the gym and they're trying to do it on their own, but they really don't know what they're doing. And they have a bad experience. Maybe somebody makes a comment or they just, feel embarrassed because they're like, man, I know I'm doing this wrong and I probably look bad and whatever. And they go home and they quit versus course correcting. So I think mindset is for most people, they're looking for the strategy. They're looking for the new tactic, the new thing, which, and, and there's a lot of great marketers out there that, that they're willing to sell you whatever you're willing to buy. But really what it comes down to is mindset. If you get a rock solid mindset, I mean, there's so much information available today that, I mean, you can pretty much get the basic strategy on how to do anything, but it's not about how to do it. It's about how to get yourself to do it. That's the hard part. So I think mindset is way more important. I mean, for you, I suppose with clients and all the rest, and, and you know, have you noticed there's a, there's, a, there's a common area where people just fall down time and time and time again, if ever you were a betting person, you'd say 80% of people are going to fall at that step. Fortunately, that's just life. That's just human nature. Is there a common area, do you think? 
Um, man, I, I think there's, there's a bunch. Uh, but, but one thing I would say for sure is it's the course correction. It's the, when somebody, especially as adults, we don't like looking bad. So we try something and it doesn't work out the way that we want, especially if it's public, but even if it's not like, we don't want to try it again. We want to go run and hide from it or make up excuses about, you know, why this happened or whatever, and then go in a different direction. Right. And this is one of the reasons I think why so many, we were talking about podcasts earlier, but businesses are really the same. I think 80% of businesses end up failing within the first couple of years. And I think that's the reason why it comes down to, to course correction. It's people have the wrong expectations. They think that they, they want to figure it out and then say, okay, I do ABC. I'm going to get D, but that's not how it works. Like you may do ABC and you're not going to get D right. Um, but it's a process and you have to figure it out, especially if you're a business owner, or you're an entrepreneur. Like if you don't have that mindset, you're not going to survive. It's just not going to happen because you may come up with the perfect plan and, you know, but as you do it, you're going to figure out, okay, well this changed now. So now I need to change this or, or whatever. There's just too many factors to be able to, to figure it all out and get it right the first time. It's going to be a process. So I would say most people struggle with course correcting. They fail and they just want to quit or do something else. Amazing. Is that, is that thing of whether it is the instant gratification side of us or whether it's just like, yeah, it's too hard or I wanted it easy or whatever it is, right? You know, and there's a, there's a graveyard of people that just didn't realize the pain you know, or the, to, to, to go through. But I mean, for you, and it's interesting, you know, certainly the amount of, you know, sort of uh, time and effort and money and all the rest that you put into your own personal development. I mean, do, do you think now that potentially you know everything you need to? No, no, I, I think... If you start thinking that, then you're in trouble because I think I mentioned this earlier, there is no neutral. You're either getting better or you're getting worse all the time. And I think when we think there's a neutral, like, oh, okay, you know, I hit this place. Now I'm just going to kind of take my foot off the gas and I'll, you know, just coast here for a while. It's not going to happen. If you're coasting, you're going to be coasting downhill. So no, I don't have that mindset. I think it's very natural to especially once you hit a certain level of success it's like oh you know i'm comfortable here like you know i already know a lot like i'm i'm gonna not have a coach anymore or i'm gonna stop going to events or i'm gonna stop doing this or that and i definitely think it's it's a very dangerous place to be in the most successful people that i know the most successful people that i've interviewed they have a mindset of of constant growth like you're never going to arrive there is no finish line and I prescribed it the same thing. It's like, I constantly want to be growing and learning and getting better. I was just curious, I suppose, because it's even like you were saying earlier, you know, the accountability side, it's, you know, it's the information without the action is pointless, right? You know, it's a lot of people will go to Tony Robbins and all the rest, and I've been there and I love it and it's great and high energy, all the rest and, you know, and, and both the business and the, the other seminars. And what it's like, if you're not going to put it into place, yeah, you're gonna feel good. You're gonna get it, and it's 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 inspirational. It's motivational, but the problem is it's not transformational. Don't do something about it, right? That's time and time again. You're gonna see that. Yeah, I think one thing I'll add to that is that people fall into the trap, and this definitely used to be me, of just learn, 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 because it feels good to learn. You feel like you're moving forward, but like you said, like if you don't actually put it into action, then nothing's really gonna change. 
you're going to know more, but your life's not really going to change in any other way. So that is something that people get caught up in. So I'm not one of those people that would say, you know, you need to read a book a week or even 10 books a year. Like you'd be better off just focusing on a couple of things and going really deep and then actually applying it. But again, I think that's why coaching is so valuable because when you have a coach, they're going to help you implement things. They're going to help you take the things that you learn, say at Tony Robbins or wherever, whatever conference you go to or book you read, they're going to help you apply it to you and your specific situation. And then they're going to help you actually follow through on what you say you want. Cause that is a really, really important distinction between, okay, I went into this conference and learned this. Now I'm going to go to the next conference versus, okay, I went to this conference and learned this. Now these are the three things that I'm going to implement. And then you have a coach holding you accountable and you actually implement it. You see change. And then maybe you go do the next thing. So yes, a lot of people just like to learn, learn, learn and not take action. And that is not a recipe for success. What about the 5 a.m. club? Is that a that's something you subscribe to, or where do you sit with that? Yes and no. So I've <laughs> so I've I've had time. So initially, when I talked about you know going from the the metal factory to becoming successful, um, I think at that time I was getting up at 4:30 in the morning every day, and I had this period where it was like probably nine months, maybe a year where basically I got up 4.30 every single day, seven days a week. Um, and I had this rigid set of habits and it was amazing for me. And I'm not a morning person, by the way. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to getting up early in the morning. Typically right now I get up between five and 5.30 in the morning. Um, and again, I'm not a morning person, but when I'm in the habit of it, I just, typically feel better because there's things that I like to get done. I like to go work out before I start working. I like to do, you know, my power questions and things like that. It sets my day up for success. And the thing that's great about the, excuse me, about the morning is there's not a lot of distractions. I don't have a bunch of people texting me at five in the morning or trying to call me um, or contacting me. So that's one thing I love about getting up in the morning, but you don't have to get up early in the morning to be successful. I know people that are very successful that have never gotten up at five o'clock in the morning. But I do think it can be helpful. I mean, a lot of it time and time again seems to be that that structure and that discipline. I mean, you know, and, and I love the, the quote that one of my authors, the authors that come on the show and quite a prolific author. And he sort of said, yeah, I write whatever I'm inspired. It just happens to be at nine o'clock every morning. You know, it's, it's that thing, you know, as you say, it's the routine, it's the structure, it's the dedication. It's like, I'm still not a morning person. But I do it. Do it, and I'm inspired by it, and I have my system, and I have. I mean, do you need that in your life? Do you need that structure? Do you, you know, sort of, not the discipline for yourself, but certainly the routine that you follow? Are you a routine type of a person? Definitely. When I'm out of my routines, there's chaos. <laughs> I, I'm not nearly as productive. I get distracted really easily. So I need routines, and and I love having routines. And I think this is something. Again, especially the business owners out there, the entrepreneurs, they fight against this. I certainly did for a long time because I was like, well, I became, you know, I wanted to have my own business so I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. You know, if I want to work at 9 p.m. at night until two o'clock in the morning, I'll do that. And I'll, you know, sleep in until 10 in the morning or I'll, you know, go see a movie in the middle of the day or whatever. And I think it's amazing to have some of that freedom as an entrepreneur. And it's nice sometimes to go do some of those things. Like during the middle of the day, I'm just going to take this afternoon off and, you know, go do something fun. But by and large, 
the people that are most successful. And again, using myself as an example, when I have that structure, I am so much more productive. Um, I get so much more done. I feel way better. Um, and I think it's really important. And I think, I think it was Jocko Willink that said, uh, structure equals freedom, or I think he says discipline equals freedom. But to me, it's, it's the same thing, the discipline of having structure. Uh, when you have that, that's when you actually have more freedom. Because if I'm disciplined and I'm structured during my workday and I crush it, then when I'm done with work, then I feel like I can actually leave work and not think about it and go do something fun. What I did before for a long time was I would mix my work along with you know, doing whatever I wanted, being distracted on Facebook or this or that. But what ended up happening was I didn't really have any boundaries for my work. It was just like 24 seven. It's sometimes I'm working, sometimes I'm doing something fun, sometimes whatever. And it was just all a jumbled up mess. And I was not nearly as productive, not nearly as happy. And uh, so I would definitely recommend having structure. Mm. And what, what is your, what is your learning style out of interest? Cause I mean, your language is very kinesthetic, you know, and I'm, I'm just curious, does that connect to your actual style of learning as well? That's a good question, actually. So <clears throat> I would say uh, all the hand motions and stuff, if you would have been doing this interview like five years ago, I probably would not be moving my hands at all. I would just be sitting here looking at you talking like this the whole time. That I would say I would give credit to my wife because she is very kinesthetic in, in that way. So I think I've picked up on that from her. Learning wise, I would say I'm very visual. Very visual. I like seeing an example of it you know, seeing how it's done, like uh, thinking back to sports again, for me, like in basketball, if my coach is trying to teach me something, I would want to see him actually do it versus having him explain it to me or something. So I'd say I'm, I'm visual is number one way I learn. Interesting isn't it? to actually learn how we learn. Cause I, unfortunately, I don't think we ever take time for that quite a lot of the time and whether in school or whatever. And you were saying that you know, your old coach, it's not taking that time out to either visualize or do something that says, well, paint a picture, you know, and, and help people learn how they learn and help learn how they're inspired, you know. But for you, I mean, you know, pressure in, in the learning situation or in the working situation, I mean, is, is pressure for diamonds or is just pressure per plumbing? <laughs> I think it can go either way. So, and it, it kind of comes down to, again, it comes down to your mindset and it comes down to how committed you are and those types of things, because I've had many situations where I, I felt massive pressure. It's like, man, I need to make like $5,000 in the next week, or I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment or something like that. I mean, I've had a lot of situations like that. And most entrepreneurs will, will tell you that because it's a little bit of a roller coaster, especially when you're starting out. So I think if you're not committed, the pressure can crush you and, and that's where you're going to give up. That's where you're going to fold. But if you are really committed, then yeah, that pressure is going to bring out the best in you because it's going to force you to dig deep and, and you're going to take more action than you probably thought was, was possible, right? You're going to do things that are really uncomfortable to you that you would never have done previously. And so on the other side of that, you see massive growth. And so I would say if you have the right mindset, and if you're highly committed, it definitely can produce diamonds. It's a, it is always interesting, isn't it? you know, and, and for you, I mean, where's your flow state? If we were to try and get the absolute best out of Ryan, I mean, what do we do? Do we stick you in a stage or put you in a dark, dark library? I mean, 
where is your flow state? You know, that's an interesting question because <clears throat> I would have said probably again, five, six years ago that I was pretty introverted and that, that being alone and maybe, maybe the being alone in the library would have been the place. Um, but as I'm stepping more into my purpose, which part of that is speaking from stage or, or on podcasts or things like that. Um, I actually love speaking, but I, that's a hard question. You know, I, I think I like both for different reasons. Um, but I would say one thing for sure that that gets me into flow state, regardless of where I'm at or what I'm doing is, is working out. So I play basketball twice a week and I also go work out and lift weights usually four times a week. And the days when I do that versus the days when I miss a day or I skip a day or something is like massively different. My wife was just talking to me about this the other day. She's like, when you work out in the morning, you're totally different. You're way more productive. You're way more focused. You're more all these things, right? So I think a lot of people don't realize how big of an impact moving your body. It doesn't even have to be working out or playing basketball, like just going on a walk, even doing something to move your body how that lights your brain and can help you get into a flow state. So for me, working out is like my number one key to getting into a flow state. Great way to be, isn't it? You know, as you say, to actually be motivated, to be moving, to be you know, taking motion, taking action. As you say, one fires the other, which is great. You know, but it, it, I suppose it depends on your creation type too. Because I mean, you get artists who are like, no, no, I need to be silent. I need to be in my head. I need to be all these things, right? And it's like, you know, don't make any noise or I'll go and stand at the top of a mountain or get the hell away from everyone. Right. So, and that's okay too. It is okay. It's, it's whatever's, whatever's our thing. Right. You know, but I'm with you. It's like, put me on a bit of pressure, put me on the stage, do whatever, get me chatting. And yeah, yeah, I'm yours. <laughs> so, you know, it's because even in my own book, I mean, I sort of was that thing is there are times when you actually sit back and listen to yourself and it's kind of going, Oh yeah, I really like what I just said there. You know, it's like, you, you trust yourself and trust your inner intuition inner intuition to actually, you know, when you're in that flow state to come out with the best. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned that about, you know, reading your own book. So I was just listening to some of my podcasts recently and I was like, man, I should listen to my podcast more often because I'm like sitting writing notes. I'm like, that's really good. Oh, I should actually do this. I should do this, you know, or like, oh man, I totally forgot about that. So yeah, I mean, when you're in flow state, I, I think things come out of you that you don't even realize, right? And and that's kind of why I talked earlier about when you're writing down your ultimate vision, people get stuck because they sit there with a blank piece of paper and they try to make everything perfect in their head before they write anything down and they end up not writing anything down or not actually getting anything done and using it. So when you force yourself to take action, man, things come out of you that you didn't even realize were possible. It's kind of like what you said, like, you know, put me on stage with all the pressure and stuff and give me a microphone and, you know, something's going to happen. Right. And it sounds like, you know, that's a place for you where the best will come out of you. But <clears throat> lots of times I think we don't trust that, you know, so we, we don't want to be pushed on stage without preparation or we don't want to, you know, people, when I tell them set a timer for five minutes and keep writing the entire five minutes, don't worry about editing. They usually don't like that because they're like, no, I want to, I want to write down, you know, I want to make sure it's the way I want. 
They don't even like just writing, but when people actually do that and push themselves, things come out that would never come out if you just sat there and waited to write something down until it was perfect because you're forcing it out. And so things come out of your head that you're like, where did that come from? Or like, I, I can't believe that came out of me. So when you push yourself, good things happen. What are you, what are you really great at and what are you terrible at? <laughs> oh, man. That is a really good question. What am I great at and what am I terrible at? So one thing that I believe I'm great at, and uh, my wife tells me this, uh, uh, is listening. I think I am a very good listener. Um, and I don't know exactly why. I'm, maybe it's because I'm just a curious person naturally, but I, I do believe I'm great at listening. And I think that's a, a skill that, especially in today's world, is it's difficult because there's so much going on all the time. We have 50 notifications on our phone from, you know, 50 people and social media and et cetera. It's difficult for people to be present and, and actually listen to people. Uh, one thing I'm not great at, oh man. Um, and you're putting me on the spot. I, there's a lot of things I'm not great at. <laughs> um, um, I'm terrible at singing. <laughs> that's one thing for sure. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Now, now I'm going to be thinking about this, these questions after we get off the interview. Interesting. Isn't it? I mean, it's that thing of, you know, it's, it's good to know your strengths, but it's also good to know your weaknesses. Definitely. What you're not good at, you know, and uh, not that you can't, you can't or shouldn't do it. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's not going to be something that's going to earn you money or, or bring you pleasure potentially, you know, so. Um, right stop you doing it you know so i just i just thought of something else i'm not great at organization it's not my it's not my key point like my desk right now is is not the most organized if you could see it it's an interesting so you get the creative type so people are you know and you talked about being introverted you know but that's changed as well so but i think that's quite common people who are quite creative who are doing podcasts who are living in the fly and all the rest then you look at the other side and then the same i mean my, my bookshelf is lovely and organized but you see the other side of the camera and it's like yeah, what the hell happened <laughs> <laughs> exactly my zone of genius go away it's like you know it's it's and that's okay too right you know just celebrating who we are because i don't know so many times we, we try and hide that right yep absolutely talk to us about the podcast so the extraordinary man by yourself obviously and and you know, the, the Superman. Well, first of all, what's what's your definition of an extraordinary man, and, and what was your intention and purpose with it? That's a good question. So, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I'm I'm used to asking other people what their definition is. So it's an interesting question to be asked. Um, I think my definition of an extraordinary man is a man who is uh, who's running after his purpose, and who is uh, he's not settling for less than. He can be in any area of his life. So, you know, if you're married, you want to be the best husband you can possibly be. If you own a business, you know, you want to be the best business owner possible. You know, you take care of your health. Um, so it's really somebody who is, uh, they want to maximize their potential in every single area of their life. And they're running after that. So that would be my definition of an extraordinary man. And uh, what was the second part of your question? And I suppose really, you know, what was your point and your purpose of the show? Yeah, the point and the purpose of the show was really to highlight other people that I think are extraordinary men. So I bring on people from all different areas of life. So it's 
mostly focused on business. So I've interviewed dozens of guys that have made seven, eight, nine figures or more in their business. And we get into tactics and strategies sometimes, but I love sharing their backstory. You know, just like I shared mine earlier and we we're talking about this some before as well, because so many times people will see somebody and be like, oh, look at Ryan, you know, he's amazing. You know, I could never do that. Or they look at their situation where they're at right now and they see somebody else, they see their highlight reel and they say, I could never do that. Like, look how amazing Pete is, or look how amazing this person is, or that person or whatever. So I really love digging into people's backstories because what you see over and over and over again is stories similar to mine, where it's like they started out, they didn't know what they wanted to do. You know, they were bagging groceries for $5 an hour or something like that. And, uh, and they tried their first thing, they had this idea and it failed. And they tried this other thing and it failed and they tried over and over again, but they didn't give up. Right. Because failure is not final, which I think is a, a big, huge lesson that took me a while to learn. Um, <clears throat> and they didn't want to settle. They were committed to succeeding. And that's the reason why eventually they did succeed. So I love telling those stories and the backstories. And then depending on who the person is, you know, like I said, I have a lot of business people on, but I also have professional athletes and I have, I've had pastors and I've had all kinds of other people on. So I love digging into um, areas that they're extraordinary, whether it's, you know, some particular area of business or mindset or whatever it is that they do that they're world-class at. And then I also love hearing what their definition of, ex of an extraordinary man is. So that's basically what the show is. And uh, to be honest, I did it uh, for a couple of reasons. I, I started it because I wanted to grow personally, like, and interviewing people is, from my experience, has been one of the, the best ways you can possibly grow. I mean, I get to have access to and interview people that would never give me the time of day Otherwise, if I was just reaching out to him and like, hey, you want to uh, talk to me for 10, 15 minutes? Can I pick your brain about a couple of things? They probably wouldn't even answer me back. But when you have a platform and a show, uh, then you, you're able to get these people on where you're like, wow, I can't believe this person decided to come on, on my podcast. So uh, getting to ask them whatever questions that I want and potentially build a relationship with them, add them to my network um, is definitely one of the reasons that I started it selfishly to be honest. Um, but one of the reasons that I love continuing to do it is the feedback that I get now from people where they're like, man, I listened to this episode and it totally shifted my mindset about this, or it totally changed my perspective on this, or, you know, I was about to give up on this, but now because I heard this guy's story or I heard you talking about this, like, I want to keep going. So initially I started it, you know, more, I would say for selfish reasons, but I love, I love, love, love it now because I get to hear those stories from people of, you know, where they were stuck or they were about to quit or something and they listened to an episode and that helped them have a breakthrough. Oh, that's so powerful, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like for you, it's almost a podcast and, and you really just listening and working and chatting with people. It's, it's almost like a guilty pleasure for you. It just happens to have the byproduct of the show as well, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, there's so many benefits from it. Obviously, there's me personal personally, like we just said, and it kind of is because it's like, oh, man, like I get access to this person and for, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, I get to ask him whatever I want. Um, and, but then also, it's really cool, because it's the impact on other people, like we talked about earlier as well. Because when it's just about yourself, 
you're only going to go so far. You're only going to do so much. And it's not going to be very fulfilling long-term. And you, you've 200 odd episodes out, you know, so it's, you know, you're doing a lot, you know, and do you have a, a favorite or a defining question? Do you, do you find there's, is there certain things that really sort of is common with people or is it just helps you to see exactly where they're at? Well, I think my favorite part again is digging into the backstory because obviously everybody has a different backstory, but there's so many patterns that are similar um, from people where it's like, you realize that everybody has obstacles. Everybody has struggles. Everybody go th- goes through tough times. The difference is how you handle it, right? The reason that I have a lot of people on my show is because of how they handle it. If they would have handled it differently, you know, who knows? They, maybe they would be homeless on the streets at this point versus they have a $100 million business. So for me, my favorite part is always digging into people's backstories um, and hearing that because it reminds me of of my own backstory. It reminds me of you know, what's possible helps me think bigger, but I also know, uh, the people that are listening as well, uh, because again, we naturally just think, oh my gosh, this person's amazing. Look at all their accomplishments. You know, they've done all these cool things. Right. And they forget that, oh my gosh, yeah. The 20 years before they did all that cool stuff, they went through all this hard stuff and they didn't give up. And that's why they eventually got there. So true. I mean, people see these, you know, what is it? Yeah. I'm just, saying along the lines of it takes a lifetime become become an overnight success right you know it's uh, it's built up of years of experience it's built up with all these things but yet everyone sees that you know, that instant hit like yeah okay taking me along i mean do you tend to find you know there's a certain age or a time that people almost have to get to the point of saying enough is enough when when actually they they sort of really step up inside themselves or it gets far enough into their age that they say, listen, this is the point of, you know, it's all bets are off. I'm going for this. Or, you know, is there something do you think that actually triggers people? I mean, do, do we have to reach our darkest hours to, you know, to get to our brightest moments? Do you think? Good question. I think for most people, the answer is yes. Um, however, I would say most people, I don't think ever get to their brightest moments because, you know, they either set the bar so low for themselves. And sometimes that's because they tried something and they failed and they just, and they don't even think that's possible anymore. They've just put themselves in a box. But I mean, yeah, for most people, I think they never actually reach that, which is kind of sad to think about, but I think it's different for every person. So, you know, what might trigger you to, to all of a sudden, you know, the, the, switch flips and you know you're on fire and you're taking massive action versus for me it's going to be different it's different for every person for some people it might be a birthday you know they turn 40 they turn 50 they turn whatever and suddenly they're like oh my gosh what you know what have i done with my life right like uh but for other people that doesn't do anything so it is not as much of a a science, I would say on that side of things, that side of things is more of an art because it's figuring out, you know, what is going to trigger you and and what is going to motivate you and how can you get leverage on yourself to take action? It's, it is. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate question, isn't it? You know, it's finding that person's on and off switch, you know, and I mean, how, how common is it? Do you think that people find their passion, their purpose, their fire and their belly? I mean, you know, is it common or is it not? I mean, for me, I personally think it's unfortunately it's just not common at all that people they never get out of second gear, right? They just 
happen for them for whatever reason. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think most people, they don't, you know, and, and part of that is, you know, maybe responsibility. They have kids and they have a family and they have this job that they don't like, but they feel stuck. They're like, well, I have this responsibility. I can't just quit my job and go, you know, chase after this thing, but it doesn't have to be an either or of, well, either you stay in this job for 45 years that you hate (laughs) just so that you can, you know, uh, hopefully have some stability and, and security for your family um, versus you, you know, dump it all and, and just go after your passion, right? There's an in-between there, right? And so unfortunately though, like you said, I, I think most people, they never actually go after it either because they're too scared to, um, or they never take the time to actually even figure out what it is. You know, they're just so caught up with life and the day-to-day and you know, I, I interviewed a, a guy a couple of weeks ago who was in his 20s and he's from Guatemala originally and he grew up in a pretty wealthy family. But he talked about how that was not an advantage for him because he was so spoiled that he was 24 years old and he was not even really able, able to hold down a, a regular job. And his life was just going out and having fun and partying. Right. And I mean, in the short term, it seemed awesome, but he was unfulfilled and, you know, he wasn't leading a life of significance. And ultimately, you know, that's, you're not going to be happy and and satisfied with a life like that. So yeah, unfortunately, I think most people don't find their passion or even if they know what it is, they don't, they don't actually pursue it. The funny how that contrast for some people, like I say, it takes the failed business. It takes the moment of whatever, then that because they have that contrast in their life, they can say, well, listen, I am never going back to that place because of X, Y, and Z. Therefore, Failure is not an option. Therefore, this business will. Therefore, I will take the extra call, do the extra meet, do whatever it takes. And it's interesting as opposed to, you know, and I agree with you earlier saying, you know, it's that it's it's kind of you can't have, you know, it has to be definitely yes or no. I mean, there's no sort of middle ground. There's no sort of, um, you know, almost the worst words I think people can use are okay and good. It's like good enough okay good enough it's like but it's so cozy it's so nice you know it's like that's deadly deadly right getting getting people out of their comfort zone taking people out where where have you found that you're able to serve people best is there a particular group or niche or type of person or where where's your yeah, this comes back to, you know, when we were talking about purpose at the beginning, that it's an ongoing process. And the more I take action, the more clarity I get. Because initially, when I wanted to be a coach, and when I started coaching people, I was literally just coaching anybody and everybody. And uh, as I did, that, I kind of started to figure out who I could help best, who I wanted to help, etc. But it was a, a long process to get to where I am now, which is I help specifically men, specifically men that own businesses. Um, and if you want to get even more specific than that, men that are married, um, and men that, that want to grow, that, are, that want to be, uh, the best version of themselves in every area of their life. They're not okay with settling in their life and they want to maximize their potential. Those are the people that I can help best. And one thing that I would say is if I look back on that, and this is true for a lot of people, definitely not for everybody, but a lot of times we like helping people that are like us or that used to be like us, right? And so essentially, in a lot of ways, that's, that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm helping guys that um, are where I used to be, 
that's so key isn't it you know exactly that you know it's like the best people you can help or who you were three years ago five years ago whatever it is you know and that's because we know it because we feel it we've been there we've felt it we right you mentioned that i'm curious you know these the, sort of the the six power questions and i'm going to push you on this i mean what what is it because you talked about you know what are you grateful for first power question i'm curious now what are the other questions that you can and should always ask yourself yeah so <clears throat> these questions are all about uh mindset they're all about basically rewiring the way that you think and so, like I said, I, I put these questions together because I've done all kinds of different morning routines and, you know, questions from this person and, you know, journaling and this and that. And basically I took the best of the best and said, what's something I could do really quickly. That's really easy. So that even if I don't do it in the morning, there's really no excuse for my, for me not doing it every day. Cause it takes me probably five minutes or less every day. Now, sometimes longer if I want to focus on it, but number one, like you said, is, uh, the gratitude. So what am I grateful for? The second question is who do I appreciate, which appreciation I mean, is really just another form of gratitude, but I'm specifically focusing on people, obviously. Um, and for me, I like to do at least three or more for all of these questions. So <clears throat> typically um, I'll just list whatever comes to mind. So sometimes it'll be four or five, sometimes more uh, for all of these different questions. So that's the second one. The third one is, uh, what have I achieved recently? So this one I have found, especially with men, is really tough for them to come up with answers, especially if they've not done it before. Because typically, guys, they look at like, well, I haven't achieved anything, right? If they haven't done some big thing, it's hard for them to write it down. And they, I hear that all the time. Like, well, Ryan, I haven't achieved anything. I'm like, well, did you get out of bed this morning? <laughs> you know, um, so sometimes you you have to break it down, especially in the beginning. If you're having trouble with that question, break it down because again, we naturally want to focus on what we didn't do. So we all have to do lists that are you know 50 things every day, and we're never going to get them all done every day. So you can either focus on the fact that oh my gosh, well I didn't do these 45 things and blah blah blah, and you just go down a negative spiral. But what I've learned is success is built off of success. So you start to get into momentum when you're focused on the wins. So that's really what this question is all about. So if you're struggling with achievements, then just break it down into something smaller and smaller and smaller, because I guarantee you have achievements every single day and a lot of them. And so that's the third question. Fourth question is, what are some special moments um, that have happened to me lately? And so this is basically picking out specific moments as best you can. It's hard to do sometimes. Um, and then basically as I write them down, it's almost like I get to relive them. So it's like, we all have these little things that happen every day also where that's awesome, but most of the time we just forget about them. So this is picking them out and saying, uh, and basically getting to relive them and then writing it down and you have it recorded also, which is really cool. The other day, just randomly, I, I clicked on a um, I use Evernote. I clicked on a, a notebook from 2018 um, and looked through my my answers to these questions from four years ago. And it was really interesting. I was like, oh, wow, that was an achievement. That was a special moment. Like, I totally forgot about that. Um, so that's the fourth question. The fifth question is uh, specifically, this is great, especially if you're married. So for me, because I'm married, the way that I word this question is, uh, what can I do? to make Brittany feel loved today. 
my wife's name is Brittany. So if you're married, I would recommend putting your spouse's name in there. If you're not married, I would still not skip the question. I would just change it a little bit. You know, maybe put some close friends' names in there or family members and then cycle through them, right? Because life is really about all about relationships. I mean, it's great to make money and to do all these things, but it comes down to relationships. So I want to make sure that I'm doing something every single day to build uh, the most important relationship that I have here on earth, which is with my wife. And so I would recommend you do the same. And so for that one, I only put down one thing. And usually it's something really small. Because another thing that I've found with relationships is that it matters a lot more what you do, small things that you do consistently versus big things that you do occasionally, right? So I want to make sure I'm doing something every single day, even if it's really small. Uh, so my focus is there. And then the last question is, what are my top three outcomes for the day? So again, we all have a million things that we want to get done every day. Not going to happen. So this helps me cut through all the noise and say, you know what? But I just did these three things today, it would feel like a win because I these are the three most important things where I would be moving the needle forward in a meaningful way. Because a lot of times also we get caught up doing lots of busy work, but it's not things that really even matter that much. So maybe you're busy all day, but if you look back at the end of the day, it's like, did you actually do anything to move the needle forward in the most important areas? And I mean, a lot of times the answer is no or not much. So those are the six questions. Powerful questions. Yeah. And, and as you say, they're, they're, they're beautifully simple, but not to be, their simplicity is not to undermine, under, undermine their power. You know, I think that's great for people. It's like, yeah, I can see how you could just rattle through that and go, yeah. And it gives you a moment of reflection. It gives you a moment of visualization. It gives you all that. So no, they're awesome questions. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny actually, because the majority of my coaching clients, when I show them those questions, they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll do it. And then like like a week later, we'll be having another call and they'll be like, man, those power questions are amazing. Like, I feel so awesome when I do them and it, it shifts things. And like I said before, it's kind of like compounding effect. Like the more you do it, the bigger the impact. I mean, if you just do it once in a while, like once a week or a couple of times a week, it's still going to be helpful. But if you did committed to do it for like 30 days straight, you would see a big shift. Not so true. You mentioned a book earlier, you know, The Education of Millionaires. I mean, is there any other books you would recommend to people or go-to books or must-reads for people? Another good question. So I see you have lots of books behind you there. I have a bunch of bookshelves upstairs and a couple over here that I'm looking at. So I have a lot of books. I love books. And that's always a tough question for me because I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I, I want to list off like 50 books. So the Education of Millionaires was a really impactful book for me, it, especially if you're a you know, your business owner, entrepreneur, I would, I would highly recommend that one. But a book that I absolutely love, one of my favorite books of all time is, <clears throat> excuse me, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's an amazing book. If you've never read it before, uh, basically it, it's a guy and talking about his experience in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And he talks a lot about mindset and observations he made about people that just kind of gave up and died versus the people that survived through. And so it's a, a fascinating book, amazing book, and it will also make you a whole lot more grateful for your life, regardless of where you're at right now, because uh, I highly, highly doubt you're going through anything uh, like what he went through. Very powerful book. 
powerful or audiobook, even if that's your whatever your digestion style is, read it, listen to it, whatever, you know, it's absolutely right. Beautiful book. Tell me what what's something that not many people know about you, Ryan? Something not many people know about me. Um I can juggle. I taught myself how to juggle when I was in uh I don't know, probably like sixth, seventh grade. Oh. What's what's your go-to? Bags, buttons, fire, knives? What do you juggle? Um that's a good question. So I I mean I don't do it often, although it, it is actually kind of fun. It's kind of relaxing for me to do it because I can just be sitting there juggling and then uh, get deep into thought. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really I like juggling anything. Balls is the easiest to juggle, but uh, it's fun for me. It's, it's a skill that um, not many people have, I think, in it. Yeah, I taught myself. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, downtime or leisure and pleasure for Ryan, you know, what, what is that? What what are you doing? You're not on call, or you're not interviewing, or chatting, or mentoring. Yeah. So, um, my wife, like I said, is also a business owner. She's also a coach. She coaches women. So, the blessing and the curse of that is that sometimes twenty four seven we're talking about our businesses and what we're excited about, or you know what we learned from this training or whatever, which is awesome. But uh, when I when we do turn that off. Um, I love just being outside. I love going on walks, riding bike, just being active. I love playing basketball. So I do that twice a week still. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite things. Just the competition of it uh, is really fun for me. Um, yeah, so those are some of the biggest things I would say. Well, it's, as you said, it's, it's funny how we go back to what we love, what we do, or, you know, that exercise again. It's awesome. Tell us if you were to then try and describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, Ryan, what would they be? For me, I would say uh, in one word, I would say family. Family and faith, the same thing? Is it all just family for you? It's a good question. Um, I, I definitely think there's, <clears throat> there's a difference there. Uh, the reason I said family is because I was going to mention this earlier, actually. Uh, we're talking about commitment and, and how do you get leverage on yourself? Because you get enough leverage on yourself, you can get yourself to do pretty much anything. And so uh, a key that I would say is that for most people, I'd say like 99 plus percent of people, uh, the best way to get leverage on yourself is to look at the people you love most. So if you have kids, I can virtually guarantee if I'm coaching somebody that has kids, their greatest leverage is going to be their kids. You know, if they don't have kids, then it may be something else. Maybe it's their wife. Maybe it's, you know, one of their friends or something, but if they have kids. It's almost always going to be their kids uh, because the people that we love most, we will do far more for them than we would ever do for ourselves. Um, and so if you're trying to get leverage by strictly, you know, something about yourself or some selfish thing, that's not going to be nearly as much leverage as somebody outside of yourself. And like I said, if you have kids, it's probably going to be your kids or somebody else really close to you. Always interesting, isn't it? On, on the journey to self-love, it's say if you supplement their own self-love for a friend, a partner, a child, whatever, then they'll suddenly they'll fall on their sword for that person, maybe before they're ready to do it for themselves. So interesting journey. Right. Yep. 
What's what's coming up for Ryan? Then what's what does the future hold for you? Is there anything you'd like to share with us? Anything you have in the in the bucket list coming up? Yeah, so I, I am working on something exciting right now. So I have not actually announced this publicly. So this will be uh, this will be the first time saying it on this podcast is that I am uh, working on writing a book. So I mentioned before I have this book over my shoulder, but I'm a co-author in that book. You know, I have one part of the book, so I'm writing my own book, which a lot of things I shared today will be in the book. You know, my story of you know, working at the metal factory to becoming a successful entrepreneur, the five-step business breakthrough framework. Um, so that is one big thing for me. I've wanted to write a book for a long time, but it's just been kind of one of those things that's like put on the back burner. And sometimes we make things bigger than they actually are of like, oh man, like I'm too busy with other stuff right now. But so I'm writing a book. Hey, wonderful. Well done. I look forward to that. It'll be great. Great lessons and great insights there. Well done you. Well done you. I look forward to it. So tell us, where can people reach out and learn more about you, Ryan? Where can they hunt you down, stalk you, track you, listen to you, follow you? Yeah. So the best place to go is my website, which is coachryanhorn.com. There's links to basically everything I do on there. Um, I have a Facebook group, a free Facebook group called Extraordinary Man, uh, which is for men that are entrepreneurs. Uh, links to my podcast is on there, the Extraordinary Man podcast. You know, if you're interested in having me come on your podcast or booking me to speak on a stage somewhere, uh, there's a link to my speaking page there as well and uh, more information about me. And is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I think I was thinking about this earlier today and I already said it once, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's so important is that failure is not final. So if you're feeling like that right now, or you're on the verge of, of giving up, just remember that failure is not final. Failure is actually just a stepping stone to your success if you use it as that. So the only way to truly fail is to, to quit, to give up. Ryan, it's been so informative. It's been great. It's been well-structured. So listen, I thank you for your time. I thank you for your amazing work and sharing and insights. So uh, yeah, it's been really awesome. I look forward to book coming out and uh, until the next time. Thank you. you. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.